Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of the Game of Thrones podcast. I am your host, Carmine of Red Team Review, and I'm joined here once again by the man in the high castle himself, Preston Jacobs. Preston? Make America great again. Hmm. Damn straight. Uh <laughs> <laughs> It was, it, 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 yeah, it was, it was, America was nice. You know, we had 70 years without Nazis, so. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Are you trying to make me lose subscribers? Goddamn. <laughs> so guys, welcome to episode three of the podcast. This week we'll be discussing the season seven trailer, as well as some other small tidbits regarding the new season. And we'll also be talking about Sansa's potential storyline in season six. As always, be sure to check us out on iTunes and SoundCloud, and be sure to leave your comments and questions below, and we might discuss it in the After Show Episode 3, which will also be on my channel. Okay, so Preston, would you like to take some questions before we get into the trailer? I, I love the questions. Uh, good, because the first question here is from Laura Lauren Peterson, and she asks us both, if you could pick one character from the book that's currently not in the show to appear in the next season of Game of Thrones... Who would you pick? It would not really need to make sense, the current plot. It would just need to be someone who you wish you could have gotten some screen time with. I'll let you go first. Well, that would be definitely Sorella Sand. I mean, that's the quest. That's the character I'd want to see most in the book, and it's the character I'd most want to see in the show. I mean, she'd be perfect because the Sam plot, you know, and let's be honest, is, is kind of boring and doesn't have any direction. And if you in introduced a character like Sorella Sand, who is so fascinating and mysterious with this uh you know incredible backstory and connection to all you know um Oberyn and has has schemes going on i mean she would be uh she would add so much excitement you just want to see those glass candles i mean no it's not just <laughs> that like i like like i mean if you think about Oberyn martell and how interesting Oberyn martell is um the sand snakes each take a piece of him and so you have Tyene has the poisoning aspect of him, and Obara has the fighting aspect of him. Um, Lady Nim has kind of the gender bending uh, and perhaps diplomatic aspect of him. And then Sorella has all the, frankly, the interesting stuff. She has the history and the travel and more gender bending as well. Um, and she can probably fight as well. So in a sense, she's more Oberyn than the rest of them. And so she's... Uh, and she's got the glass candle and, and the connection to Marwyn and, you know, any sort of Dornish master plan is going to go through her. So, you know, she she's the I mean, we've been waiting for a Sam chapter since, you know, 2005, since A Feast for Crows came out. You know, we haven't had one. I mean, I've been, you know, dying to know what's going on with Sam. So Sorella is really who I want to see in the book. It's who she, who I want to see in the show. Hands down. She's the character I'd want to see. I would probably have one character that we could also introduce, and it would not affect this, the storyline. They could have introduced this guy back in Season 4, and it wouldn't affect anything, is uh, Strong Bellwise. Strong Bellwise, I feel it. Am I saying his name right, Strong Bellwise? I mean, I have no opinion on pronunciation. But <laughs> <laughs> I say Strong Bellwise, yeah. Strong Bellwise is one of, like, Danny's, like, I want to call him a bodyguard. He's kind of like one of those guys Danny has who's, like, there and... You know, he's a good fighter and all that. We, we meet him. We should have met him with uh, Barristan Selmy. And I feel as though if you introduce Strong Bellwise, he can still be there. He doesn't... I know tons of fat guys who would just love to be there. Uh, wouldn't take any pay from Game of Thrones. I mean, he could, he could be integrated very easily. 
and he should have been. You don't even have to, have to give him speaking roles. He's just that guy in the back. He's he's the Hodor of Danny's group, and he could still be implemented even now. Uh, and I say him because there's a lot of characters that really should have introduced several seasons back, like like Victarion and Euron. I think should have been introduced in season five. Quentin. I mean, there's there's so much there's so much time getting killed in season five that they they could have easily had the Ironborn plot. But, I mean, or at least I would have had it as the finale of the season, have the King's Moot mm-hmm. as the last thing. But uh, Strong Bellwas is a really good choice because um, Slaver's Bay really didn't have any comedy, comic relief. It was, it was very, you know, dour. They tried to have um, uh, Dario be funny, and he did an okay job. I'm not, I'm not saying he didn't, but... But he can only do so um, much. Right. You know, he, he, was, he had a huge... Uh, thing to put on his shoulders. He was supposed to be the voice of reason for Danny. He w- he was supposed to be the romantic interest, and he was supposed to be the comic relief. Um, it was way too much uh, for the one character to to hold. I th- I think he did a great job. I mean, of of anyone in that in that, I think he was the best actor of the of the Slavers Bay plotline, um, and the most the most fun to watch. I mean, we all kind of didn't like him at first because he, he it wasn't the same actor and it was a little distracting, but um, he, he was a better actor than, than uh, the, the, fir- the first guy Dead, from, from the, the guy from Deadpool. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and, you know, he was likable. And in the end, in the end, he really grew on me. Um, and it's, it's sad that he's gone. Cause he's actually probably my favorite character from Slaver's Bay now. Uh, so, but Strong Bellwas would have had that other role. You would have said, "Ha, huh, I'd like to get back to Slaver's Bay and see Strong Bellwas." You know, somebody that's funny and and enjoyable to watch. Not only that, but I really I honestly really 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 thought that uh Daria was going to be the one behind sending the Sons of the Harpy out there to kill people. I really fucking thought that was going to be a, a really good twist that Dario was really behind it the whole time, and he betrayed her because he lost, not interest, but he lost faith in the cause. Hmm, yeah. And instead we find out it was uh, Jack and Hagar. What? <laughs> I mean, because I, it was no one. Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say, what show are you watching? <laughs> the harpy was no one, or they just dropped the plot, yeah. <laughs> All right, uh, the second question is aimed at me, uh, and this person says, if you're a Baratheon man, you shouldn't want Danny to take Storm's End. Like, I've said this before to you, I, I think Danny taking Storm's End in Season 7 would be way better and more poetic than taking Dragonstone, mainly because Robert mm. Baratheon took her family castle uh, and her family's lands, and she comes and takes his. Not only that, but if we're really going to replace fake Aegon with Danny and like combine the two storylines... It would make more sense for Danny to take Storm's End, in my opinion, because as soon as she takes Storm's End, she's surrounded by Dorne and the Tyrells. Mm. I mean, I I agree that that it's I I like her taking Storm's End. I will say that in the show, she doesn't need it as much as Aegon does. You know, Aegon needs a big win to show that he's legitimate, that he's a real threat, and so that people will rally to him. And, you know, everyone will go, oh, my God, he took Storm's End. No one's ever taken Storm's End. You know, maybe he's the real deal. 
Danny doesn't need that because she has such a huge army. Unlike unlike Aegon, who only well, has Danny's 10, also they're also trying to mim- mimic Danny with uh, her ancestor, the first Aegon Targaryen, who conquered mm. the Seven Kingdoms with three dragons and his sister wives. They're trying to mimic that, and I guess another really cool thing I I kind of want to talk about real quick because we're talking about the Baratheons and Storm's End. In season one, my favorite season, season one. There's a s- everyone's favorite season, yes. <laughs> it's season one. Dog, dog's favorite season. <laughs> Every, everyone. Uh, there's a scene between Robert and Cersei, which I really love. It's my favorite scene, one of my favorites in season one, where Robert and Cersei are just sitting down. They're talking. Let, let me guess. It's the it's the extra one, the extra scene, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I see. I was like, I knew it because that is a good scene. It is. There, there's one thing that Robert says to Cersei, and he goes. Um, he he says something along the lines of uh, uh, the Dothraki. It'd be foolish to take on the Dothraki in the field, and and the final shot in the season seven trailer, we're fucking seeing the Dothraki in the field with a goddamn dragon above them. I love that. And you know what's funny too? Robert says it to Cersei. He said it to Cersei. Mm. Oh, you would be. Uh, we would be a fool to beat the Dothraki in an open field. And she's going to meet. I know she is. She's going to meet them in an open field. I mean, there's no reason to have a pitched battle when you have castles. I mean, it's it's. Uh, I I'm not sure why anyone would meet him in the field. It, it, I I I said this in one of my videos. Um, you know, the argument of how could anyone stand a chance against Danny, and I would say, well, the one advantage that that Cersei has is she has the castles. She has high walls. These things that high walls. You know, uh, that that. You know, and the Dothraki don't know how to do siege warfare. Like they might be idiots enough to like just try to storm the castle, and then they'll have a bunch of boiling oil, you know, poured on them, and and then they're they're SOL. Um, so I mean, that's that's the advantage. I don't know why anyone would would meet Dothraki in well, the field. That seems really in the same scene with Robert and Cersei. Robert does say how um, if Viserys Targaryen or the Dothraki, for that matter, come over. And we all hide in the castles. He actually prepared for this. <laughs> that's that's yeah, why I love yeah, Robert. Yeah. Uh, he said, "How the, the Dothraki? How long will the people stand behind their absentee king while we're up in these castles? And the Dothraki are going all over the place, pillaging and raping all these people." But Danny wouldn't allow that. I mean, can she really stop it? Mm. I mean, that's it's it's a weird. It's another you know, uh, drop plot because obviously, Danny's whole problem with the Dothraki was. The fact that they raped and pillaged, and she wanted them to stop, and then it got in, it, it created a power struggle because Drogo kind of you know did what she said, and everyone else kind of all of a sudden questioned Drogo. So it, I don't, you know, you'd think if she did the same thing, people would say what? Like raping and pillaging? Like this has been our way for forever? Like that's the whole point of war? Like why else would I do war? Um, yeah, so. I mean, I guess maybe they see, you know, they see her not burned to death with fire and they see some dragons and they say, okay, I guess I'm not going to rape and pillage. I guess we're just going to listen. The stallion who mounts the you know, world, you know, is technically mounting the world. I, I mean, I'm, I'm also going to get over seasickness and you know, other things. <laughs> but, get on those but, wooden horses. Yeah, that even though even though my religion for my entire life has, been to, has told us that this is poison water, but <laughs> but let's, but you get beyond all of that. Okay, all right. So they have to meet him in the field because if they don't, then ever then the people will will turn against Cersei. Um, okay, all right. 
I could see the logic. Well, supposedly, supposedly what I heard is, I don't know if this is true or not, I don't know if this is part of the leaks, I don't remember reading this, but um, supposedly uh, Jamie's army is coming back from conquering the Tyrells, and they get mm-hmm. ambushed. So that would make more sense. Huh. Uh, they conquered the Tyrells? And the Tyrells, powerful, powerful group. I know, they, but... They took Highgarden? Wow, that is that's that's like a that's a bigger victory than than the, than the Lannisters ever had in the history of the show, <laughs> right? I mean that 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 be that would be interesting. That would be really. That, interesting. That's what I heard. Another major complaint people have is that the, the Unsullied have never been used how they're supposed to be used. Because I think mm. it, I believe it was either the season three. I, I think it was the season three Blu-ray extras where. Jorah Mormont tells the history of the Unsullied and how the Unsullied are really good fighting in, uh, I'm, I hope I'm saying this word right, fa- Phalanx? Phalanx? You know what I'm talking about? Right. It, like that like, Spartan like, it, way of fighting where they're like together with the shields and the spears. Oh, right, right. I mean, um, yeah, I would just say, yeah, or, you know, I said before, like pitched battles. Like that's when people like go out in, in a planned field and fight each other, you know, strategically versus... Um, you know, kind of more spontaneous warfare that we've that we've evolved into. Um, but yeah, I mean, they they wouldn't know how to storm a castle. They wouldn't know how to. Uh, um, they wouldn't know how to fight knights. I mean, they're they're wearing leather armor. There's a lot of things. There's a lot of reasons why the you know they they don't have testosterone. There's a, there's a lot of reasons that that the unsullied are, would be bad fighters. I admit. Which is why they're good as as guards. They're good. They're good to guard castles. They're good to guard the streets. But they're not good, like because in that in that Blu-ray extra, um, it did say how the Unsullied were called on to protect Marine, and they stood in front of the uh, the the Marinese opening where we saw Dario mm-hmm. fight that guy on the horse, and the Dothraki, you know, went in there, tried to charge, failed, tried again, failed, tried, again, kept trying, kept failing because they hold they held their ground. Um, yeah. I, I don't think I would use Unsullied in open warfare, but we do see them try to attack what looks like some random castle. Now, I'm thinking it's either Casterly Rock or some Lannister-occupied castle, because those soldiers the Unsullied were fighting, they didn't look like Lannister soldiers They they with a right. cape and all that. They look like, I want to say, fuck, retainers? But they're—I mean—they were wearing red, right? They were wearing um, red, red, but like a weird kind of like armor. Like they honestly look like retainers, like castle retainers, mm-hmm. guys who just guard the castle. They're not professional soldiers, right? Right. So. Oh yeah, castle guards instead. That that yeah, I, I can see that because they they were definitely different than the the military people that we see later marching, in in lockstep, you know. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, they might be castle guards or something, but it, it was definitely a Lannister holding because there was some there was a Lannister lying over a door or something. It would make sense for uh, it to be Castle Rock because because Tyrion does kind of he he knows the place very well. Uh, don't we find out later that uh, in the books that he was in charge of cleaning the sewers? I mean, it, it, if so, before the all the Unsullied run in, there is already a Lannister guard dead on the ground. So. Maybe and and I mean if it's not an error, maybe some people snuck into the sewers just like they did with Marine and took Casterly Rock in the same way. So I mean maybe they took it that way. Well, we do see we do see like someone like Danny on the map knocking over a Lannister uh, lion 
marker, yeah. which means maybe they took some kind of castle. Who knows? But we're getting really off topic here. <laughs> we're getting oh, off right, topic. Right, right. We always do that. I, I do apologize, everybody. We we like we like talking about this stuff. But um, I the only reason I want her to take Storm's End is because I want to see all the fucking castles. I want to see. We saw River Run. We saw the Vale. Um, uh, <laughs> what, are, what are they? <laughs> the um. What was what was Robert Baratheon's term for having sex with a with a woman from each from each kingdom? Making making the making the eight. Making the making the seven. Making the eight. Something like that. So, or yeah, making so the you nine. Wanna, you want to you want to make the you want to make the seven, make the eight, make the nine, or whatever with the castles. Yes, that you that wanna, is basically yeah. what I want to. <laughs> you're you're like such a pervert. Uh, you know, no. <laughs> that's basically what I want. I want to see because we never saw the a lot of many people in the show think we've seen the Martell Castle. The Water Gardens are not the Martell Castle. The Sunspear is the Martell Castle. We've never seen Sunspear. We've never seen High Garden, which is supposed to be really beautiful. It's, it's true, and it, even in the beginning of the show, they they don't call it Sunspear. They call it Dorn. They, they you know it could go oh, yeah. down and then say Water Gardens, but no, it says Dorn. It says just Dorn. Um, it's just the whole. Oh, that's so fun. I forgot <laughs> about city. that in the opening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. By the way, what are they gonna do with the opening? Now that they're not going across the narrow sea, like hmm. uh, you know, are they gonna spin around and go down south, or you? you I mean, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, right? I got like you. The map, the map starts in King's Landing, and then it usually heads north to the Wall, and then as the the music changes to violins, uh, they cross the the narrow sea, usually either by by spinning or or going sideways, right? Um, and then they go. They do the Esos cities, and then sometimes they come back for Dorn. But now there's no Esos cities, so that's right. Arya, Danny. They're gonna hit the wall, and then I, you know, I imagine they'll spin, and then all of a sudden head south to Dorn or something. Whatever, dude. I just want more fucking castles. Come on, like Casterly Rock. <laughs> I want Casterly Rock. I want. Uh, I want. Uh, what's that stupid place? Uh, the Greyjoy Pike shit. Uh, Pike. Pike. I want Pike again. Like I want all these places. I I'm a history buff. I I really want to know more about the history of like a lot of these things. I want to see more castles and stuff like that because I really do like the aesthetics. I I really do. But, oh, they're gonna. One of them's gonna be Old Town. Maybe they'll spin and they'll go Old Town. Oh yeah. Old Town. Well, yeah. well, they're gonna show like Danny, like you know, they're gonna show Dragonstone again, and we're gonna see like Danny's sigil there. So, right. I mean, that makes. I mean, they'll 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 do you know King's Landing, Dragonstone, and then up to Winterfell and up to the Wall, and then the question is, is where after that? I guess you know maybe if Jamie is taking Highgarden, they'll spin. And go High Garden, Old Town, Dorn, and then get all the locations in, but or something like that. But I can't. I, I forgot about that. It's, it's so bad. I, I I blocked it out. Like they didn't even they didn't even show the water guards. <laughs> they just showed like a fucking like snake, Dorn there. Wow. What garbage. The, si- the city of Dorn. Yes. All right, uh, let's go to uh, the the third thing we have here is uh, not a question, it's um, a comment regarding to our conversation in the after show episode two about Davos. Uh, this is from mm. a Mister. Hope I'm not butchering the guy's name. Uh, Crispus laughing, and he says, with regards to Davos surviving the Blackwater, 
I have always seen Davos as the type of dude who never acknowledges how good he is at various things because of his incredibly humble upbringing. He always attributing things to the luck and the gods, but most of the time these are things that Davos himself has seen fit to execute or plan ahead for. I think this is George R. R. Martin giving credence to well-meaning religious folk who see who are seen as good-natured but ignorant, the opposite of those who are organized and power-hungry religious people. The surviving mm. of the Blackwater is an example. We are told that Davos, because of his experience, chooses to dress himself in very light armor and half a helm in case he needs to swim or float. After he is thrown from his ship, I think he was likely able to swim, perhaps even after the chapter ends. But it is also possible that a piece of wood from the ship was able to carry him into the tide of the rocks. Again, he calls it luck and the gods, but it was really just him looking out for himself. Very good uh, comments. And it doesn't make a lot of sense because Davos is a very humble guy, a very down-to-earth person. So, yeah, I can see that. It's no, it, it's 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 a very it's a very good, well thought out comment, um, and it makes sense. I mean, um, Davos, when we last well, when he does his flashback, when we last see him in a Clash of Kings, he's heading towards the flaming pile of ships uh, on Tyrion's chain. Um, we next find him in a Clash of Kings. I mean, we next find him in a Storm of Swords on a, on a rock, um, and he he thinks back to what happened next. He goes underwater as deep as he can because he doesn't want to get fried by the by the fire and he wants to get past all of the ships so he swims as deep as he can and then he feels something on his leg and he hits the bottom of the river and there's a cloud of dust and he gets lost and he doesn't know where he is and he screams and all of the water comes out of his mouth and then the next thing you know he's he's on his rock so it could be that he's just he just forgot something happened in his brain where he, he blacked out and he, he didn't know uh, what happened. Um, and so he really did actually, you know, recover and get to the surface and swim to the rock. Um, it might also be that the thing that he touched his leg, yeah, was a, was a piece of wood. And, you know, he ended up floating up the whole time or something or or maybe another dude was down there <laughs> with him and and res and rescued him or maybe mermaids and, whatever you know or maybe mermaids or you know <laughs> um but yeah i mean that's that's it's it's the, it's the easiest and um most logical one is that he just he just forgot you know like something happened in his head that clicked that said oh no religion did it or the gods did it or something um and that's the reason he's he's on that rock is that he saved himself because he thought ahead. And I do like that that uh, this guy says um, it's probably George R. R. Martin giving credence to well-meaning religious folks uh, who who he sees as good-natured but are very ignorant. That does make a lot of sense. George R. R. Martin, when it comes to religion, is not that nice to it. And um, <laughs> no, no. In fact, in fact, his treatment of religion, as bad as his treatment of religion in Ice and Fire is. Um, and it's not great. I mean, every religion is pretty is pretty savage. His his treatment is probably better than any of his other stories, in that he actually has good natured religious folk. Brienne is religious. Catelyn is religious. Davos is religious, um, and and they're good people. Um, he hardly ever has that. <laughs> so perhaps in his old age, he's gotten slightly. Uh, uh, slightly less anti-religion, but not that much. Yeah. <laughs> and I, and I, that we that we were on the topic of the Blackwater. I I I don't know why they didn't do this, but uh, the chain that you mentioned, Tyrion's chain, how he keeps the ships from escaping. Yeah, 
I don't know why they didn't just do that either, because it would have shown Tyrion as a ruthless fucking battle commander. Yeah, I mean, and that's the thing. The book really, and this people people forget this, um, that the wildfire was Cersei's idea in the book, and the chain was Tyrion's idea, and the and the the fun beauty of the Battle of the Blackwater is that Tyrion and Cersei teaming up, like, and and his father, Tywin, like together. The three of them won the battle together through teamwork, um, even though they all hate each other. And so what I'm saying is Lannisters together are really powerful, which is why people like Varys and Littlefinger, you know, divide them and and turn them against each other because, um, you know, make them fight each other. Because actually the Lannisters, when they when they work together, they they're pretty unstoppable. And um, but. I mean, in the show, they just made, they kind of made the, the wildfire all Tyrion's doing. And so Tyrion single-handedly saves the city. Cersei had nothing to do with it. Um, when, in fact, you know, in the book, it's, it's, it's a little different. Team effort. Woo! Okay. So now let's get on to the trailer. And mm. the trailer had some interesting things, but I've noticed that Sam and Bran do not appear, which kind of annoys me because... Sam and Bran have actually gotten a lot better. I used to complain about how Sam and Bran were fucking boring, especially Sam and that stupid girlfriend of his. But <laughs> oh god! But um, no, in in season six they actually got very interesting. I enjoyed Sam scenes uh, because there were so little of them. Bran actually <laughs> had some cool stuff going on, especially because he was doing some weirdwood things, uh, giving us the flashbacks we've wanted all this time with the Tower of Joy. Um, he didn't give us the flashback of Rhaegar and Lyanna at Winterfell, which I really wanted to see, but maybe we'll get that in Season 7. Now, why do you think they left Sam and Bran out, but they put fucking Yara and... Wait, did, did, did we even get any Night's King footage? No, right? No, nothing. What about Brienne? Was Brienne in there? She she was sitting in the back of a room. She was sitting in the back of, like, the north. Um... Keep in mind, you know, it's fan service. So what fans really like is is um, what brings them to the show. Dragons, is, is the, the dragons, the action, um, and and uh, um, a bit of the the nationalism. You know, people people watch the show, and this is a big you know thing about the show is they have their favorite team. You know, and and they they're like I'm on. Obviously, most people are on Team Stark, um, but you know, people have the houses they like, and so if if you watch the the trailer you'll, you'll see that it's very nationalistic focused you know king in the north you know we lannisters are going to do this da, 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 da. like sam doesn't have that bran doesn't have that um they're not action scenes bran you know he was exposition last time mm-hmm. sam uh certainly doesn't have any action with him um and so that's why the, that's why they're not in the trailer i think it's purely you know that reason the whole nationalistic thing would make more sense if they fucking fletched out a couple more houses, like maybe given the Greyjoys more to do and made them more badass so people would want to, mm. like, you know, be fans of them. Or maybe have given, you know, the Dornish House Martell better scenes back in Season 5 when they appeared and, you know, given us more with them to make them more badass instead of pathetic and kind of lame. Um, yeah. Your national- yeah, that makes more sense, but it's just a shame that when it comes to houses of Game of Thrones, the only houses we can either pick from are Lannisters, Targaryen, and Stark. And not everybody is a lying wolf and a dragon. Some of us are, you know, 
flowers. Some of us are birds. Some of us are <laughs> a spear well, through what... a fucking sun, <laughs> I guess. Uh, uh, well, especially if you're if you're a fan of the last two books, where where the last two books are not really about. Well, they're certainly not very you know about the Starks, and uh, um, you know it's more about the iron the Ironborn and the Dornish, you know, and um, and the Tyrells are dominating King's Landing now. So these other houses have come in, and and um, but the show never really made that switch. So. <laughs> Some of us are uh, flayed men on a cross, you know, whatever. Um, <laughs> so, so, some of the House Frey fans die hard. <laughs> I, don't think, I don't think there's any House Frey fans in the audience. Um, no, no, I don't think anyone. Another thing I want to discuss about the uh, the trailer, and this also came out in in uh, several pictures back when they you know released some of the pictures, is that Jamie has Joffrey's widow's whale. For those of you who don't remember, Joffrey has his own Valyrian steel sword. When Ned Stark's sword was broken down in season four, it was made into two swords: Oathkeeper, which was given to Jamie, who later gives it to Brienne, and Widow's whale, who was given to Joffrey as a gift by Tywin. Why does Jamie have Whittle's will? Well, I, I mean, I imagine that when Joffrey died, it would then pass on to Tommen. And then when Tommen dies, um, it would it would pass down to, you know, it, I mean, I guess if Cersei's taking the crown, she could probably take the sword too, but she has no use for a sword. She's not a trained knight. So Jamie is the only one left that we know about. I mean... Technically, like Casterly Rock and Lannisport should be filled with Lannisters, but we don't hear about any of them. So I imagine Jamie would say, hey, you know, free sword, Valyrian steel, why not? Makes sense to me. Well, Whittle's Whale is, uh, I don't, hmm. If you, if, you, if you go to the first episode of season four, when we're seeing, you know, the swords being made, Whittle's Whale yeah. is not as long as Oathkeeper. In the books, if I remember correctly, I think Widow's Whale right. is a long sword. They're both they're both long swords, but mm-hmm. it's made for it's made for a boy. Yeah, it's 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 a Joffrey Tommen sword. It's made for a boy. Yeah, <laughs> but let let me but let's make the argument. Uh, Jamie is with his left hand. He doesn't have as much um, strength or control. Perhaps a uh, shorter, smaller sword is better for that. I find it. So, <laughs> I find it so funny how. I, I just, I just, I just would love it if if Joffrey was buried with it and Jamie just doesn't give a fuck because he doesn't give a fuck. Jamie, because he, 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 he. I don't, I don't even think he mentions Joffrey that much in in the show, or even I don't even remember him mentioning Joffrey that much in the books. Like he's not even a father to them, is he? Like he doesn't care. I mean, okay. Do you really want to know why they have to give him widow's whale? It's because they've they've established that oh, when fighting White Walkers, Valyrian mm-hmm. steel causes them to shatter. So what you know? And they've only introduced a few of these swords in the show. I mean, there, there's hundreds in the book, but but they've only introduced you know. I I think actually in the in the inside the episode they only said like there was a dozen or something in the, in the kingdom. We know we know that. There's between 100 and 200 Valyrian uh, steel swords in in Westeros, um, and countless daggers. But uh, we we have no idea what's going on in Essos. Essos, there could be I don't know piles of them. But there's clearly for some reason not enough for for the Lannisters to 
ever be able to buy one, which doesn't seem very logical, but whatever. Well, uh, I mean, I, this is not logic that's not in the book. See, I'm being fair. <laughs> well, I, I do love how, like, I would love it if, if like, Jamie needs, like, well, I, I I can't think of a good reason why he would take Whittle's will. I guess maybe like a, kind of like a symbol. But but I would love the I would love it if like if Joffrey was buried with it and he just fucking grave robs the shit out of Joffrey because he doesn't care about Joffrey. He doesn't give a fuck. I love Jamie. No, but, he doesn't. Jesus yeah, Christ, he... he's such a savage. Uh... <laughs> no, he does not. He does not care about Joffrey at all. Um, not one bit. But the uh, yeah, I don't think any. I don't think anyone would be dumb enough to to bury a Valyrian steel sword with anyone though. So it you just, I mean, did they even, did they even put it on top of Joffrey's body? Like, was he, was it? So yeah, I'm trying to remember uh, on, the on the uh, on, on the funeral scene. Yeah, he he has it with him. Let me let me let me quickly bring up <laughs> Joffrey funeral, and then oh yeah, no, you're totally right. It's there. Uh yeah, they must have. T- yeah, I guess they would take it from him. Another thing, speaking of Valyrian steel swords and daggers, another thing we've also seen is that the Entertainment Weekly uh, cover, Arya, has the Valyrian steel dagger used in Bran Stark's assassination attempt. What the fuck is up with that? How did she get that? Whatever happened to that dagger? I don't remember what happened to that dagger. Um, well, in the in the show, I don't know if we see it after... Um, Ned is arrested. So, so Littlefinger uses the dagger, puts it up to, to, to Ned's throat and says, you know, I told you not to trust me, that kind of thing. I don't know if we see it after that in the show. In the book, Littlefinger wears it quite brazenly and Tyrion keeps seeing it and, and saying, wow, what a, what a pompous asshole. He's just wearing that thing and he knows that I know what it means. And, um, and then we never see it after that. Um, some people think that Littlefinger brought the dagger with him to the fingers and that he's eating fruit with it in front of Sansa, but we actually have no evidence that it's the same dagger. It could be, but it just, you know, the Sansa chapter just says, oh, he has a dagger and he's eating the orange with a dagger. The only way, the only, the only way Arya could have gotten her hands on that dagger is one of two ways. If we have to follow the dagger, then because when Littlefinger does the yeah. whole thing in the show, I did warn you not to trust me. Um, he doesn't. He doesn't use the same dagger, the, the bone hilt one, the cat's paw one. He doesn't use that one to betray Ned with. We don't know who has it. I think Catelyn takes it with her, or either Ned has it with him. Right. So, so one of Wait, two. It, one of two people it, have it. Either Baelish or Walder Frey. Because if because Baelish would have it if Ned had it on him, which I think Ned had it with him. So if Arya has that, then she's probably going to take it from Baelish. Or Walder Frey has it because if Catelyn had the, the dagger after she went to King's Landing, and, you know, mm. she would have had it with her or on her or in her possession when she was betrayed at the Twins with Rob. Ah, uh, you're you're right. Um, okay, in the show, Littlefinger doesn't put it up to Ned's throat. That's only a book thing. Mm-hmm. In the, in the show, it's a different dagger, it seems. Yeah, it's a totally different dagger in the show. What I would do is... <laughs> I I know people hate it when I do that when I try to rewrite the show, but I would what I would do is I would have Littlefinger 
constantly have that dagger on, like, you know, like, every once in a while, we'll see him, like, using it to cut fruit or whatever, and, uh, it would kind of, it would kind of give the, uh, the audience the, the impression that he was behind the assassination attempt, even though we're meant to think in the first season that it was Cersei and Jaime. Yeah. Okay, I'm, now I'm trying to track the show dagger, so... <laughs> You're not gonna track it. They did a shitty no, job with it. They did, they did, but, but how about this? So Ned's bones, okay? Ned's bones get sent to Catelyn. In season two. Maybe, mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe they're like, why don't we pack up his shit too? Like clear out his desk. And maybe they, they packed up his dagger and sent it to Cat. And then Cat sent it on to Winterfell. Now, in, in, obviously in the book, Ned's bones never arrive. And it's a big mystery of where Ned's bones are. Um but do Ned's bones make it to Winterfell in the show? And maybe all of Ned's, like, shit, like, comes along too. <laughs> See, they're, they're, once again, I, I know a lot of people get on our case for criticizing the show. We like the show. We find it entertaining. It's just that we want certain things to be kind of explained. So we're not left wondering, hey, what happened to this? Or what happened to that? It, it, it's kind of like, <clears throat> right. a, like a Chekhov's gun kind of thing, you know? I mean, on the other hand, the problem with it is we've we've been we've been fooled before with their prop department reusing props. You know, I'm, you know, we all know about the necklace, like Sansa's necklace, where later Cersei says, "Oh, only two of these necklaces exist in the world: mine and Marcella's." And they sent this back to me as this threat. And then Sansa was wearing one of those necklaces, you know before and and all the fans got you know into conspiracy theories because the prop department had these Lannister necklaces lying around and decided to reuse them and thought that no one would notice but thought no one thought no one would notice but you know obviously we're going to notice well yeah of course people are going to notice that shit and and it's and it's funny you say that because the prop department when it comes to you know all these weapons and stuff the weapons actually look fantastic like Oberyn's spear if you actually look at it, it has like a snake yeah. on it the weapons are are beautifully done but they yeah you know, everybody makes mistakes right so i mean when they when they when they suited arya up and someone in the prop department like could have just grabbed that dagger and said oh this dagger will look cool on arya and she just has it i mean that's completely possible because we know that that i mean so we might be we might be talking about and analyzing something that is just do you really think that did that like because that dagger i have that dagger i have that dagger right here um i have the the cat's paw blade i have it with me yeah do you really think they would make that big of a mistake i mean the necklace thing was a huge mistake Mm. or or Tyrion Tyrion telling theon that that he was mean to him at Winterfell. Like, that is but an those, enormous but those are mistake. Minor. Those are minor compared to, like, the fucking dagger used and sold as a replica to people. I mean, I mean, uh, like, the, the, necklace, the necklace Sansa has, that, that's very minor in my opinion. I gotta defend him on that. Um, okay, okay. So, uh, there's also another thing I wanted to talk to you about, which a lot of people okay. didn't really hear. Which is how um, the AT&T CEO, which is uh, going to buy Time Warner, which I'm, I'm assuming owns HBO, something like that. He's, he's going to own HBO. He wants to make Game of Thrones um, 20 minutes each. Every episode, 20 minutes. Oh, oh. <laughs> that's horrible, horrible idea. 
And he wants to do it for mobile viewing, which I understand because things nowadays are moving towards that. I, I, I read some, an article somewhere that more people have phones than computers, Oof. which makes sense, especially in places like Japan and China where cell phones are like the major thing. Um, and that completely makes sense. I have, I watch, I don't watch stuff on my phone, but I do watch a lot of stuff on my tablet. By the way, uh, House of Cards season, season five, woo, I'm watching that on my tablet at, when I like to lay down. But I, hmm. see, I, this idea, okay. let me just give you my thoughts. This idea is great, but shitty at the same time, and I'll tell you why. The reason I think it be, would be great is because... 20 minutes, okay, not 20 minutes, like 22, 23 minutes, fine. 22, 23 minutes is great for a comedy show like The Big Bang Theory or even Friends. But for a, a, an epic like Game of Thrones, it could suck dick. However, would you rather have 10 one-hour episodes or maybe 24, which is usually the standard, 22, 24, 20-minute episodes? I'd rather have the one-hour episodes. Yeah. Really? Because... With 20 minutes, we can, with one hour, for some reason, for for the whole for 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 a show for an epic like Game of Thrones, you would think they would cut out as much filler as fucking mm. possible, but they always add filler in there. Like I don't give a fuck about Sam and Gilly fucking each other. I don't care about that. Yet they add that in there, like it's something that we need to have. Yeah. By the way, also in the trailer we see Missande and Grey Worm hooking up, which once again we don't need that, but whatever. Um. If they want to add as much filler as they want, they could do that with 20 minutes. But at the same time, though, I, I feel as though 20 minutes, like, like 20 minutes, 20, 20, 20 minutes episodes, I don't know. Like, could, could you think if we had that many episodes for that little time, do you think we can include more storylines? No, no. I, I, I think his, I think he has a fundamental lack of understanding of what viewers want. And he's thinking about more of what advertisers want. I mean, and we, and we see we mm -hmm. see this on the other end with YouTube, um, but there there are two types of programs that that people like watching. We like short little things that are non-immersive, where we can get our information and be done. We like YouTube videos that are like two minutes long, where I get the information and then I'm on to something else in my ADD mind. And then we have like immersive experiences, where people will want to sit down and just become immersed in something. This is why like. Binge watching is huge. Like one hour isn't even enough. Like I'm going to freaking have six episodes in a row. I'm going to be immersed into this world. Well, let yeah. me stop you right there. You're right. You're right. The whole hour thing, I agree with you completely on that. But the one thing I will say that I do disagree is that having multiple 24, 20-minute episodes would also be advantageous to HBO because HBO doesn't utilize the full hour. Let's be honest. A lot of people got on my case for saying this, and I'm still going to fucking say it. Game of Thrones season six was not a full hour. <laughs> Most episodes were 45 fucking yeah. minutes. But Carmine, the HBO guide. I don't give a fuck what the HBO guide says. If you remove the intro, which I don't watch anymore. I watch for content. If you remove the intro, the outro, the behind the scenes footage, and the previously on Game of Thrones segments, it's really cut down from like 58 minutes to like 45 minutes. And then if you minutes. cut if you cut out like, like Tyrion having awkward pauses with, with Grey Worm and Miss Sandy. Oh god. <laughs> and if you cut out the Sam and Gilly scenes, we're really just watching 24 minutes of Cersei, Danny, and Jon Snow doing stuff. Like how, <laughs> Ar if you think Arya's, about yeah. it. So Arya sweeping the house of black and white. Yeah. It's <laughs> 
What's with all that dead time? What the there fuck, was... man? Like, are you going to have filler? Really? Yeah, I mean, and people have argued with me. They're like, oh, it's essential for the atmosphere. Well, I mean, maybe you can get that. You can argue that with the House of Black and White. I still think they went too far. But the the Tyrion dead the dead time awkward stuff was just horrible, you know, or or the awkward pauses at dinner with with Sam and Randall Tarley. You know, they, they do it a lot or the awkward pauses with at the wall where. where... Well, well, I will defend that. The, the awkward pause with Sam and uh, his dad. That that is that is we need that there to show like you know that divide between. Them. I grant that the one at the wall though was different, where everyone's kind of awkwardly sitting there having dinner when they have a million things to talk about, you know. And I mean, I can get it with the with I guess I can get it with Sam and how uncomfortable they are. And but uh, but I mean, you are right that okay, they they can handle it. They can handle if it were really forty five minute episodes, they could handle it, but. That's the other funny thing is when you start talking about comedies, like how how long are comedies once you cut out all the ads and the, and the intros and outros? Like, turns out comedies are only 20 minutes, you know. So when you say like, oh, the show is actually only 40, 45 minutes. Yeah, that's how long it needs to be. Um, but it can't be 20. Like, that's just not long enough to be to be immersed in something. I don't know about you, but personally, I would like Game of Thrones 55 minutes of straight content removing all the all that other stuff because we could get more oh, yeah. things done. We could get more things that were out of the show, like, you know, uh, Duran Martell's Master Plan, Quentin Martell. We could get Victarion. We could get all that other cool stuff in there and still keep a good uh, 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 a chunk of everything else. So... Yeah, you're right. This the this the the AT the AT and T CEO is, is dumb because he's just doing it for advertisers, which I understand. But at the same time, though, you, I I can't help but wonder where right. the show would be if it was given, it was if it was if it was on Fox. Well, I I can understand it would be in the shithole. But if Game of Thrones was maybe on Netflix, Netflix would give it you know an actual hour, and they would give it you they would give you thirteen episodes. Hmm. Yeah. But at the same time, Netflix. Netflix and HBO do things way fucking differently. If I had to pick oh. somewhere for Game of Thrones to end up, I, I would want it to be a Netflix. But at the same time, though, Netflix, hmm, could they find success with Game of Thrones? I'm sure they could, but it might not do as well as they want because Netflix judges things way fucking differently than everybody else. And I know they spent $288 million on two seasons of Marco Polo. They got the money. But do they have the money to do all this stuff and more? I mean, it, it is really odd how, and they're hiring all these different directors and different producers, but it is really weird how you kind of know what HBO programming is going to be, you know? It, quality it, it, stuff. It's quality, but it's, it's strange that it's also thematically similar, you know? Um, and which is really odd considering how diverse everything is. Um, like, you know, it's going to be, uh, really sexually explicit and really violent and have really top-notch actors. And, you know, it's going to be um, very immersive. Well, you know, Netflix, you get this whole uh, variety of stuff. I will say this, though. There is one fault HBO does have to its programming. And I've seen this with, ver with multiple shows. A lot of people can back me up on this. No most notably True Blood, which I used to love, is that mm. the one fault HBO does have is that no matter how much money they can throw at something, they can't keep... They, they can great have great quality, but sometimes, over time, it starts to decay. Mm. I mean, it, uh, Game of Thrones seasons 1, 2, and 3, epic. 
absolutely fantastic. But over time, as it gone on, season four, eh, it was all right, but not as great as season three and one. Season five, eh, it was all right, not as great. Season six, okay, I'm starting to see some signs of uh, fatigue here. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously, it's the the moving off of book, but um, you know that doesn't. I've I've been watching the leftovers, and the leftovers is. Uh, it's just as good after they. Oh my God! Left, you and the uh, leftovers. Preston does not like, shut up about the leftovers. So just, just so you guys know. <laughs> I mean, you guys should all fucking watch the leftovers. See, it's, Jesus so fucking, it's so fucking good. It's so fucking good. I want to watch. Oh I have God. a whole video about why I don't like the leftovers. They're gonna. I don't like shows where they leave it off, like. Like they never explain anything because like we're a, we're where is uh, is two percent of humanity is gone from the world right. Uh huh. Yeah. Like, what happened to those people? Did they explain it? Not yet. They might explain it in the last episode. Probably not. Probably not. Uh, but you you eventually get to the point where you realize. I mean, the metaphor of the show is uh, why they're gone isn't important. What's What's important are, are the people that have been left behind. But not because the people disappear. So it's a metaphor for death. And so and and obviously like. A lot of stuff happens, like, you know, cults pop up and people are distraught because their loved ones are gone. Well, that's the fucking real world. Religions have popped up and people are distraught that their lo- you know, loved ones are gone. And, you know, people do really stupid things and extreme things and fuck up relationships. And in the end, you realize that, oh, what's fucking important is are the relationships. Like, And so by the end, you don't care that there's not an explanation because you're getting to the point where... The relationships are more important. Fuck that! I care about the explanation. I feel like I feel like where those people went is more actually more interesting than what's going on with the uh, with uh, Jennifer Aniston's husband, who's like one of the main characters. I'm assuming he's the main character. Oh, he's uh, yeah, he's pretty he's pretty fucking awesome actually. <laughs> <laughs> well, well sp- speaking of other shows, there is uh, one. Well, there's really one cool uh, fan film that came out recently, and uh, it's it's called The Wild Wolf. It's a Game of Thrones prequel. Check it out on YouTube, The Wild Wolf. It's about Ned Stark's older brother, Brandon, uh, going down to River Run, meeting up with Kathleen, who he was supposed to marry, and, of course, Peter Baelish, Peter Baelish uh, challenges him for his hand, for her hand in marriage instead. So, it's an actually pretty cool fan film. And for what it is, you know, they don't have a high budget and all that. For what it is, it's actually not bad. Uh, Preston, you saw a little bit of it. What did you think? I did no. It's 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 probably the best put together fan film um, I've seen. I I mean the uh, I I guess there's been some really high budget like Star Trek ones as well, but no, they did a really good job with um, with with uh, the set and, and the research and and their yeah the research is pretty good. I mean obviously when I you know I'm a nitpicking asshole, but but like yeah, but no, they did pretty they did a really good job with with their research as well. Um, well, my one complaint it's... is that Peter Baelish did not win, but uh, spoiler by the way. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's uh, it's really it's really well put together. Well, we just for... wanted to give them a, a little shout out because uh, it is it is pretty cool. I would like to see. Uh, th- this is where we need those twenty minutes from that AT and T CEO. This is where we need it because uh, the whole the whole the whole fan film is around sixteen minutes. But I liked it. It was it was as, it was as long as it needed to be. It wasn't too long. It wasn't too short. And I hope they make more anthology because I really like anthology stuff. I love Black Mirror. Mm. I really like when it comes to certain things like this anthology because certain stories aren't really long enough for 
no, 10 one-hour episodes. Yeah, yeah. So I would love to see, you know, maybe uh, maybe a backstory of, um, I don't know, maybe Tywin during the House Reign rebellion thing. You know, stuff like that. So I, so I hope these guys do have some success. Definitely check them out so we can get more stuff. And hopefully, if they do find that success, we get more. But there is one topic I wanted to talk about that made news a while ago, and that is Netflix once again trying to challenge Game of Thrones in their own way. There is no way Netflix can touch the dark medieval fantasy spot that Throne has in the number one place, but they can come close enough to make people think twice. In the past, there have been like contenders. For example, I remember right before the first season of Thrones came out, there was this thing on Showtime called Camelot. Did you ever see it? No, no, I never did. I gotta watch Camelot. Downloaded it ages ago. I haven't seen it yet. Uh, Camelot was supposed to challenge it. Sucked. Marco Polo was supposed to try and challenge it, try to get up there. It got canceled. So, Netflix is coming out with The Witcher. Have you ever heard of The Witcher? Uh-uh. You've never heard of The Witcher? Really? No, no, no. Dude, once again, The Witcher is based... Uh, the Witcher has a, a series of video games and books. It's based off, like, um, I don't want to... St- I don't want to fuck this up. I think Polish mythology. And there's a lot of monsters in there. Uh, the, a witcher is basically a monster hunter who goes out and he goes to your village. If you have a problem with like some monster in the woods, you tell him about it. He goes, all right, I'll go take care of it. And then you pay him and then he goes away. That's basically it. But the whole thing is, is you know, rooted in Polish mythology. It's really fantastic. The Witcher 3 is a video game absolutely great i would recommend it to you but you have a relationship <laughs> with video games the um yeah i can't play video games because i'll just I'll, I'll never do anything else um everyone's been talking a while about king the king killer chronicles and that's supposed to be a show so maybe maybe if that comes around along like it, it that depends where, where is it gonna land thrones is it going to land on MTV like the Shannara Chronicles? If so, fuck that. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that's true. But where is it going to land? Fox, CW, AMC? I don't know if it's I don't know if it's um it's been determined yet. I don't know. The only other show I will say that can actually even not come close to Thrones, but is a nice little it's a nice little show to binge watch because the production value is actually top notch is the Vikings from History Channel. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people talk about Vikings. Um, Rome, Rome was pretty good. In fact, I mean, it has a lot of the. I mean, you'll you'll notice a lot of the actors from Game of Thrones in it, including Mance Raider. Um, but the uh, the production is very similar. The tone, the violence, the the gratuitous sex. Um, there's probably more gratuitous sex in Rome. Oh, really? Um, oh, okay. Oh, yeah. It's done. It's done very well. Um, but. It only went two seasons. I think it didn't have enough ratings to justify its budget. Its budget was enormous, so mm. it only made two seasons. Same yeah. thing with Marco Polo. Marco Polo, uh, have you seen that Marco Polo yet? No, no. Oh, dude, I something I will say Netflix has been doing. We're getting way to fuck off topic, but uh, something Netflix has been doing lately is they're experimenting. They're you know going places. I do like how we are exploring you know diverse places. You know because. There's, there's always going to be, like, a series about medieval times in England or, you know, Roman era stuff in, in Italy. But the reason I like Marco Polo is because there's not a lot of, like, made-for-Western audiences shows that take place back during that era in the East mm. when it comes to, you know, Genghis Khan or his 
grandson Kublai. Uh, that's why I like Marco Polo so much. But you'll notice something about Marco Polo is that the show's title character, Marco, is fucking boring. Holy shit, bro. <laughs> he is the most boring. He's like Jon Snow. Jon Snow is supposed to be like the title character. No. Boring as shit. His supporting characters of Kublai and everybody else around his court is much better. I don't know why that is. But Netflix has been doing this with a lot of its main characters too. Like um, like uh, Orange is the New Black, which I like. The main character is supposed to be... Have you seen that one? Uh, I've never seen Orange is the New Black, no. <laughs> Jesus, uh, I watch I watched the leftovers. If you watch, or is it the black? Uh, the main character is supposed to be this uh, white girl, uh, pretty blonde white girl named Piper. She's preppy, and then as the show continues, it focuses on the people around her in the jail. So, I mean, if anybody can challenge Game of Thrones on HBO's Game of Thrones, it has it can be Netflix. It can be maybe Showtime yeah. because they had something recently with uh, Black Sails, which is a pirate thing. And they also had Spartacus, another Roman thing. So, mm-hmm. uh, right now, the one contender who can really challenge Game of Thrones, not dethrone it, but get up there, is The Witcher. The Witcher has some fucking potential. And I hope they utilize the shit out of that. Because that mythology, there's 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 more blood, there's more sex, there's more monsters than Game of Thrones ever will have. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's really weird because... I mean, people complain about uh, studios not putting enough uh, minorities um, in um, uh, series and everything. It's, I mean, it's partially the the the, the producers' faults and, and the studios' faults for for only having things be you know Eurocentric and focused on white people. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also the fact that viewers are racist as well, and they like Aww, watching. Stop. They like they like watching white people like watching white people. White you know males like watching males. Stop um, it! You get out of here. I, well, I mean, I, I lived in I lived in, in in China and Japan for a while when I was when I was younger, and you know they were very interested in 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 their past, and um, and so you know just just as uh, you know a white kid in America might draw pictures of of knights. In his in his notebook, you know, a, a kid from you know a kid from Japan is going to be drawing pictures of you know some samurais in his. Um, you know, people people are you know people are very ethnocentric no matter where they go, and so it's it's Marco Polo. I mean, if it's successful, um, that's great. But I can imagine somebody like turning it on and saying, "Oh, geez, this is all about China. I'm not interested in China. I'm, you know, I, I know about European history." You know, I know about, I, I, I want to see knights, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So your warning was for nothing. I'm not a racist. <laughs> dude, dude, it's YouTube. Like, like, like if, if you say anything about, uh, you know, race and, and your next words are not, they're pretty awesome. Then people are going to fucking try to sink you. That's just how it is. Fucking assholes. Yeah. Um, and, and Eskimos. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love Eskimos. Damn it. <laughs> okay, so Preston, I wanted to talk to you about Sansa mm. Stark and what I would call the Sansa problem, the Sansa dilemma, uh, the Sansa conundrum. Yes. And that is making Sansa Stark the main character of the North in season six and a driving force <laughs> behind the retaking Winterfell story arc. Okay, okay. And this would mean that Jon Snow would have to stay dead, so sorry to Jon fans. <laughs> 
I mean, it. God, wouldn't wouldn't that be awesome if Jon stayed dead? I mean, <laughs> we have a habit of shitting on Jon Snow, like like uh, shameless self promotion plug here. But uh, on my uh, Patreon, we have like exclusive clips where me and Preston just shit on Jon. Like we, I, I looked this over. We have we have a clip of us discussing whether Jon Snow is a bad fighter. We have a clip of us discussing whether he's a competent Lord Commander. We have a clip of us discussing whether or not. Uh, Booker show John is better. Like we just really shit on him a lot. I feel bad, but yeah, because he's everybody. I mean, I guess I shit on him because he's everybody's most people's like go-to hero guy because he's so boring. And we 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 talked about the bathroom the bathroom mm-hmm. guy theory, right? Yeah, yeah. Where yeah. where Jon Snow is the bathroom symbol. Go through that real quick. Uh, yeah, the, I mean, everyone relates to the bathroom symbol because he's the most simple, basic, boring version of what a man is or what a woman is. You know, you know, you can identify with it. So protagonists like are, are they try to make them as boring as possible. So everyone will, will relate to them like Neo from The Matrix. Like he is he is nothing. He's since therefore all people watching can go, oh, that's me. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah. I never thought of it that way. But yeah, Neo from The Matrix, that makes more sense. Um, but yeah, but I bring this up because for as long as, like, she's been on the show, Sansa has never really had that moment of awesomeness that the other characters have. Like, she never, she's never had that moment like the other Starks have where the audience sits down and says, that was cool. Like, I've yeah. been binge-watching seasons one through six recently, and I've, I've noticed this. I mean, it makes me sound like a huge social justice warrior douche, but it's true. She's always being saved by all these male characters like the Hound... Peter Baelish, and even Theon, for that matter. And, and she goes mm. through so much abuse and torture, and it all ends up being for nothing. But, like, I, I spoke to a buddy of mine, and he kind of countered with, you know, some people just suffer because that's just how it is sometimes. But with Sansa, it, it could have had a huge payoff for this season, and it led me to, like, rewriting all of her, like, storyline for season six. I mean, it is tough because George R. R. Martin set her up that way to not be the strong female character. And then kind of later on, you know, maybe he changed his mind, but you know, from the beginning, she is, she is the opposite of Arya, right? Like Arya is the non-traditional female, strong gender bending role while Sansa is the traditional one. And you know, so you're already set, like he's already made her this archetype of not being the strong female character. And so, you know, making that turn and turning her into the strong female character is it's it's a tough turnaround mm-hmm. you know so well, well she can still retain you know the abuse she goes through she can still retain trying to be a strong female character but but i remedy that with giving her a special skill like in my version mm-hmm. her character would be giving like a special trait now you can back me up on this for those who haven't read the books but it's strongly hinted that most of the star children other than bran have warging abilities in the show only Bran and maybe Rickon seem to have it. Like, I remember in season one where Rickon and Bran are in the crypts. And, you know, Bran's like, don't worry, father will be back. And Rickon's like, no, he won't. So I guess that's a hint that Rickon may have some, you know, visions, maybe green dreams. Right. I mean, in, in the book, in the book, all the Stark children have working abilities except for maybe Sansa because they killed her wolf. Um, all the rest of them do. Uh, you know, John Bran. Well, we don't know about Rob, but because Rob dies, but uh, definitely. Whoa, whoa, spoiler Bran, alert! Defi- Rob dies. Spoiler. <laughs> <laughs> but definitely, definitely uh, Rickon, definitely Bran, definitely uh, Arya, definitely John. Uh, Sansa is 
a different question. There, there's some, there's some debate whether you, or not you think she, she has, has like some kind ability. of charm, tell uh, like charm psychic powers where she can, yeah, you know, I use do attract on the, her foe. It's super effective. Go into that a little. I mean, I think, I think there's a reason why people keep falling for Sansa and wanting to save her, and more than her just being, you know, an attractive 13 or 14 year old girl. Um, cause I mean, the hound really falls for her and then Tyrion falls for her and Littlefinger falls for her and then Sweet Robin falls for her. And it's just a lot of people over and over that keep falling for her that Sansa, you know, can use <clears throat> and control if she wants. And, well, I mean, she... I mean, that's not really a superpower. The power of being a good looking person, that's not really a superpower. Well, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying it goes beyond yeah. that. I mean, there's lots of there's lots of good looking people in, in in you know, A Song of Ice and Fire, but uh what what the hound does is is uh pretty crazy. I mean, he was he was scared of fire, left the battlefield, meaning, you know, if he's caught, he's you know, he could be executed. And instead he decides to go upstairs to to Sansa's room. And then rather than, you know, killing her or raping her, he, you know, pulls this weird crying scene and then takes off. Um, and so, you know, maybe Sansa had some sort of mental power, mental control over her. Maybe the hound was her wolf for uh, for a second. Or oh, why does, why that's does, pretty cool. You know, or why, why does Sweet Robin connect with well Sansa, okay sweet robin is a young you know. kid you like you know when, when we were all like that age of sweet robin we always fell in love with like the pretty pretty uh older woman and as for Littlefinger, he already explained it he he loves sansa because she reminds him of catlin yeah i mean the proxy for cat <clears throat> but you know sweet robin sweet robin hated sansa when he first met her and then all of a sudden i mean i guess because his mom's not around certain things are understandable but you know, it's a lot of things in a row. And and the Tyrion thing, again, Tyrion makes sense as well because Tyrion is a sucker for for the abused poor girl. Yeah. That's his that's his type, mm-hmm. you know. Four four girls in a row. So four girls in a row is 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 Taisha Taisha uh, Shay, Sansa, Penny, you know. But But as I, like I was saying, I it, it that annoys me about her though that she has nothing. There, her character has no special power, no special skill. Like, if you think about it, like the other Stark kids have their own thing. Like Bran and his warging, Arya has her face changing thing, and Jon Snow's plot armor. Mm. Uh, Sansa has <laughs> Sansa has nothing to her. Like, if I were to rewrite her character, I'd only add one thing: power of perception. That she is someone who is a bit more inquisitive and has attention to detail. Kind of like Robert Downey Jr.'s in Sherlock Holmes, where the guy walks into a crime scene and automatically knows who the killer is. Now, a lot of people may not think that, you know, the power of perception, the power of paying attention is a useful power at all, but it really is. For five seasons, Sansa has come across many characters, and when it's time for her to shine in season six, she can take everything she's learned from those people and utilizes it to take back her home kind of like um give you a great example in season two episode nine when she's conversing with cersei cersei's basically telling her you know the best power a woman has is between her legs now hold on a minute i'm not saying before everybody gets outraged i'm not saying sansa should throw herself at every male character she encounters to control them but just like you said with the hound she is a very pretty girl and she is the lady of winterfell by by blood so you know 
she can use her charm. I mean, I remember one time I bought a drink for a girl at a bar because she just winked at me, you know? Some some ladies have that, that power of charm where they can just look at you and destroy your heart. So, and clearly Sansa has this. And she, once again, Lady of Winterfell, she could definitely use that to her advantage. Not only that, but she's encountered so many characters throughout her time in King's Landing. If Joffrey... She, and she could have learned all the like a, a lot of things from these characters. She could have learned brutality from Joffrey, honor from Ned, the power of uh, of uh, women from Cersei, kindness from Marjorie, and um, strategy and manipulation from Peter Baelish. She could take all these things she's learned and utilizes it in season six. With John now dead, she's on her own. She's always had that one person to help her out. But now she's truly on her own, and she has to use everything she's learned to take back her home. And by the end of Season 6, she manages to do it. Now granted, if Jon stayed dead, we won't have him for the Battle of Bastards. Fine. But this would require the Blackfish to stay alive. It would require Brienne to do more stuff. And it would require even Tormund or maybe another character to come in and do more as well. But I think it would be much better if Season 6, Jon stayed dead, and we had Sansa come into her own. Yeah, I mean, you could even, even if you wanted to bring John back, you could just have him be dead longer. You know, you could have him get preserved in the ice or something. Have his soul exist in uh, in Ghost for a while. Have him be dead a whole season. That would, one, it would shock people a little more when he came back. But then, yeah, it would allow, it would allow Sansa to shine, which is what she wanted, you know, what we needed. I mean, the problem, the real problem is, is, we all thought at the end of season four that we were going to get this intelligent Sansa, this dark Sansa, this manipulative Sansa. She's, she's wearing that raven outfit, and she's got that special necklace on. And, and then we were, we were expecting, oh, she's going to be just like Littlefinger. And then, no, she wasn't that at well, all. Well, here, well, here's the problem where, where the Sansa conundrum comes from. The problem with Sansa is not her character, but the writers give her nothing good to do. And they always pair her up with characters who are larger than life for example you pair her up with joffrey joffrey's whole character is being an asshole that's his thing right you can't pair joffrey up with sansa and not expect his personality to come out by abusing her and doing this and then you pair her up with ramsey once again ramsey is a larger than life character who gets his kicks off and his character traits are being once again an asshole so you're pairing her up with this guy and you're expecting her not to be abused i mean Unless you're trying to turn Ramsey's character around and make him a kind person, which is not going to happen, um, yeah. Sansa can't really shine and can't really come into her own. Only certain characters who are paired with others have this ability to shine on their own, like Bronn, Tyrion, and arguably even, I don't know, maybe Jorah Mormont or, I, I don't know, the Hound, maybe? Y you have certain characters that are flexible enough to where they, you know, their characters can shine. But Sansa... I don't, they just keep pairing her up with the wrong people. It's like pairing up Sansa with Cal Drogo. How, how, how well do you think that's yeah. going to go down? But what I would have Sansa do for all of Season 6 is basically use her charm, you know, strategize, manipulate people and supporters to come to her side and ultimately remove the Boltons. Now, I haven't really finished the script of this and how I would rewrite all of her stuff in Season 6, but basically it would end with them taking Winterfell and... Not killing Ramsay by dogs, but by taking Ramsay, sitting him down, tying him, wrapping him around in every single Bolton banner that was in Winterfell, and kind of uh, burying him alive. 
burying him, mm. not having the dogs rip him apart, because, you know, that... I don't know, I, f- I feel like burying him alive would bury the House Bolton legacy. And I would spend all of the first episode of season one with her, I would spend just tearing down the Dreadfort, which, by the way, for those of you who don't know, is the House Bolton Castle. I would tear it. I would have her tear it down, raise it to the ground, make sure nothing grows on it again, as a callback to House uh, Reign of Castamere, with with Tywin's massacre of them, and I would have her, you know, just ruling ruling the North. Maybe John comes back, does his own thing, but I would have her be merciless, and in a sense, make her the new Stoneheart. D- did I say season one? I meant season seven. First episode of season seven, Sansa is merciless. I mean, that would be that would be interesting. I see. I would have. I would have had her manipulate Sweet Robin and that ha- have that be part of, you know, her intelligently manipulate Sweet Robin, convince him to move the, mar- the army north rather than it just being a spontaneous decision. But you can't really manipulate Sweet Robin in the show. In the books, you could because she has more uh, screen time with him in the, in the books, if you will. But in the show, she doesn't have really that much screen time with him. She has more screen time with Baelish. So it would make more sense for her to manipulate Baelish, who in turn manipulates Sweet Robin have her manipulate both you know mm-hmm. um and then have her move her army north and then you know have a season of have her t- you know have the snow fall have her take the the book stannis plot <clears throat> have her march towards winterfell try to rally rally the north to her um, maybe meet up with a have, representative of the, the iron bank of bravos yeah you know and any of that it would just something interesting for her to do but what do you think it's about really that though? like like making her the main character in the north oh yeah absolutely well she'd she'd be much more interesting than than what we what we have right now i mean the problem is i mean john snow he he is he's just he, he is just boring and and there's no there's no intrigue there's nothing there's nothing dark or manipulative or or you know, there's no shades of gray um, in what That's he's doing. That's why I doing. love Jamie over John. He's flawed. Oh, oh yeah, all the characters are flawed except for Davos and John and Brienne, apparently. You know, and then you have them all together. So you have these these you know unflawed characters just kind of doing like going from point A to point B with uh, with no with no character conflict. I mean, which it's the Phantom Menace. You know, it's. Everybody gets along, so let's go from point A to point B to point C. You need you need a conflict. You need character interaction. You need something like that. Well, that's so. why I would have Sansa be Stoneheart. In season seven, she spends episode one just tracking down any remnant of the Bolton forces and hangs them. It, it'd give her a great dynamic with the other Stark kids who are also forced to grow up once they meet each other. Once again, I, I don't want to sound like a social justice warrior, nor do I want to speak for the writers, but I've had discussion... Uh, with people before about this topic. I mean, maybe the reason they couldn't give Sansa more to do or even make her the central character of the North is because they weren't too sure if Sansa's character could really hold it in terms of holding the audience's attention and in terms of entertainment value. When Jon is on screen, we're paying attention. Maybe Sansa wouldn't have the same effect. I think... I think the sh- I think the, the writers were scared to move that much off of the book plot. I mean, if you think about season six, and I've said this a lot, season six is a repeat of, se- of season five. It's the exact same plot again. There's trouble in Marine. We've got to fix the problem in Marine. There's a battle for the North. We've got to have a battle for the North. Like, you know, Cersei is dealing with the Sparrows. Cersei is dealing with the Sparrows. Like, season, it's just a repeat. 
Um, Arya is being trained by the House of the Undying. Arya is being trained by the House of the Undying. Um, it's they were scared. They were scared to do to mix things up that much, and so to have a character be a be a side character and then be a bold, you know, leading character and go that far off book, you know that it was too much for them. They're like, well, no, we wanna we wanna keep we wanna keep Jon Snow the protagonist. Um, because that's where we, you know, we think the book is going. So we don't want to, we don't want to go away from that. I mean, you know, if they, like I say, if they really wanted surprises, you know, and if they really wanted to shock me, like episode one of season seven, kill Arya and Danny and and John, and I'd be like, oh my god, like this is this is this show has this, this. I have no idea what to expect next. And then all of a sudden, the show is about Davos and Brienne, like fighting. Uh, <laughs> you know, fighting uh, Grey Worm and Miss Sandy. Like I'd be like, what? What am I watching? This is incredible. <laughs> like it'd be so, it'd be so unexpected. But no, they're not gonna do that. You know, to all of a sudden make Sansa the the, the you know the big important central figure. Uh, that that's just too. But bold she has for them. the potential though. Like, like she does. She really does. She has a potential. Like. Like, one thing, uh, I, I think we've said this before, but one thing George R. R. Martin said about uh, Lord of the Rings is that, you know, he enjoys Lord of the Rings, but he would he, he would enjoy it even more if he got to got to read how Aragorn makes his uh, policy, you know? Like, how what's Aragorn's yeah. stance on homosexuality and stuff like that. And I agree, I would love to see Sansa, uh, you know, make some policy. Like, what's her stance on this, this, and this, you know? Ar- Ar- Aragorn, Aragorn grew up in the woods, so yeah, he's pro. <laughs> um. <laughs> You're killing my subscriber count now, Preston. Jesus. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean those 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 little subtle um you know the 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 dirty the dirty stuff, the 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 nitty-gritty. You know, that's that's you know what George R. R. Martin thinks about, what's what makes his stuff interesting, why we why we love it. Um the show the show at least season 6 it, it became every other adventure story mm-hmm. where the hero wins. All the heroes won, happy ending. You know, it was, it was not, uh, it was not really what we. Uh, it was there was nothing unexpected. So, are you saying that. season five is where it went downhill? I mean, not season five. Are you saying season five was the last good season, and season six is where it went downhill? Yeah, and but I would say season three was the last good season, um, but. I, I kind of understand it as well. Like, even if you're going with the book material, um, you know, the criticism that people give for A Feast for Crows and A Dance with Dragons is that not very much happens, com- like, relatively speaking. Like, Game of Thrones, Clash of Kings, Storm of Swords, boom, boom, boom. The plot is just churning. People are, major characters are dying. People are having limbs cut off. Um, and then you have these two books that I- that are mainly about introducing a whole slew of new characters. The, ne- the next phase. Uh, yeah, the next phase. And and I admit that, yeah, the the plot doesn't, like, characters aren't dying as much. Uh, I mean, big characters. Yes, Jon Snow dies, but is he really dead? But, um, you know, it's it's different. And so they didn't have that opportunity. Well, to be fair um, for A Feast for Crows, um, later on when I, when I found out, I realized that uh, someone told me, Feast for Crows and Dance of Dragons happen at the same time, right? Yeah. So, I, I can I can forgive it. I can understand it. As for why Feast for Crows was was a little slow in some places, and they really should have taken the Feast for Crows storylines of Euron and 
and the the the, the Martell stuff and incorporated for season five. It was it would have spilled over into season six, season seven, season eight. But it didn't. They didn't want to do that, which is why to me season four and a bit of season five felt a little, felt like it dragged on a little. Yeah, and and if you really think about it, considering that a Feast for Crows and a Dance with Dragons happen simultaneously, let's say you tried to break that up over over two or three seasons, right? The trouble is, Cersei is only getting to the point where the small council is meeting, and the the High Sparrow comes into power for the first third or half of her story, and so that's not very exciting. Or Jamie is wandering around the you know the Riverlands. Um, not doing anything yet. Jon Snow is is counting the amount of food that he has at the wall. You know, like the action uh, that's early is happening in the Dornish plot and the in the Ironborn plot, and you know they just didn't want to go off into these these new smaller characters. They wanted to keep the action with Jon and Tyrion and Danny, and and you know they just can't they couldn't with the book material because you know Tyrion's on a boat. Like not doing anything. John is at the wall, not doing anything. Danny is ruling Marine, not doing anything. You know, so it, I understand that it was very tough. Um, it was very tough material to to adapt if you're going to go at the old characters. Because as I say, Feast for Crows, Dance with, Dance with Dragons is about shifting to new characters. The action is with Brienne. The action is with the Dornish. The action is with the Ironborn. Um, you know, the characters you know and love are sitting around. Or as, as, as somebody said once to me concisely, a feast for crows is people you don't care about doing exciting things. Dance with dragons is people you do care about doing nothing. And that's, that's very tough to adapt because the show wanted to have, to have it be about characters you love doing exciting things. And that's, that's not what those books... They, what they were too afraid books. to introduce new characters late, late in the game and center it yeah. on them. It, it's a shame, too. And I, and I know what really pissed you off about Sansa, getting back to that a little, is uh, uh, watching your review, you kind of got annoyed that she wasn't the Queen of the North. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, like you, was wanting her to do something, you know, and, and, and have some sort of plot and, and have something be, you know, also I want it to be logical. But, you know, if you're going to send everybody north, like she's the queen. But... It, but yeah, I wanted I wanted her character to to come into her own. The thing we've been waiting for forever was Sansa, you know? We've been waiting for Sansa to come into her own, you know, as long as we've been waiting for Danny to land in Westeros. Um or so it's just one of those things like forever, you know, where you're like when when are the white walkers coming? When's the wall falling? When is Sansa going to become a player? Well, apparently never. You know, see, you know, as we head into season seven. So, eh. well, I'll tell you this right now: the reason Sansa can't be uh, the queen of the North is uh, one simple reason that you've overlooked. Oh, what's that? Emails. Sansa had a private email server, and we can't make uh, her. <laughs> all right. <laughs> all right. Let's uh, let's end. The North was yeah. No, that makes sense. That makes sense. Makes sense. All right. Let's end it there, uh, guys. Thank you so much for watching. As always. Once again, be sure to check us out on iTunes and SoundCloud. And as always, leave your thoughts and questions down below, and we might discuss them in a future episode. If you would like any uh, any voicemail options, you know, for us to hear your questions through that, through voice clip, uh, go to facebook.com slash redteamreview and send me a message through there. I've already got a couple of yours already, but uh, more is always good. 
for future episodes. Preston, anything you want to plug? Anything you want to say before we end this? No, no. Just uh, thanks for thanks for listening. Also, check out Preston Jacobs. His I'll leave a link to, in the description below to his channel. And Preston finally has his uh, Twitter handle down. Preston, what is it again? Uh, <laughs> Preston Jacobs at Sweet Robin 9000. There you go. Sweet Robin 9000. Are you sure? I'm sure. I always take you to I I got I always take you to task every single time. Is it Preston Sweet Robin? Let me, let me just check real quick. I'm see if you're right. Okay, no, you're right. I'm I'm just so follow Preston on uh, Twitter to uh, keep up to date with all the stuff he's doing. Also follow him on Facebook. I'll leave a link in the description below to all this stuff. Guys, once again, thank you so much for watching, and we'll see you next time. Have a good one.